listeners, and welcome to the latest Unions 21 podcast with me, Simon Sapper. And me, Becky Wright. We're very pleased to have you along with us for our last podcast of 2017. Gosh, hasn't the year gone quickly? And we're, we're in a week where the government has finally come clean on Brexit. Uh, not the fact that we've got a deal um, between the government and the European Commission, but the fact that there have been no impact assessments whatsoever. Uh, David Davis now tells us. I feel like if we were a really cheesy radio programme, which, I mean, I think we're almost one step away from sometimes. We're close. We're we, close. Would have, we would have the sound effects at appropriate moments well, what sound effects <laughs> through we could, today. We'd have, we'd have, wouldn't it? Cutlery breaking. Cutlery breaking. <laughs> it would be heads on the table. It would be all manner of things. And also the way in which we've, we've passed the first hurdle of Brexit and it's almost being hailed like some kind of Trump triumphant return of uh, the cavalry or something. On the prodigal daughter, yes. Who knows? Who knows? So we're going to spend this uh, podcast, uh, listeners, talking about Brexit and what it means for unions, both in terms of their external relationships and their own internal structures. And in a little while, we'll be hearing from one union who's very much ahead of the curve on this. That's the Royal College of Midwives, Mm -hmm. who, together with other health unions and health service employees, are doing the sector analysis that the government has failed to do. They're doing some really, really interesting stuff. You're going to want to stay tuned to, to hear all of that. But before we do that, uh, this week sees the launch of the Unions 21's very own Brexit toolkit, Managing Brexit. Uh, Insert sound here. <laughs> yeah, trumpets. <laughs> trumpets. Uh, clarion, call, <laughs> clarion calls. And, and this, I mean, Pop-pop. especially given the absence uh, of the government from this, this whole vital area of debate, only the biggest economic question the country's had to ask itself in about 70 years. Um, it's particularly timely. So, so Becky, we talk, we've talked about this toolkit and this document before. It's out now. What's in it? So just to kind of recap uh, how we got to this point where Unions 21 is putting, uh, has put together a toolkit for unions, um, there was discussion with uh, our steering group of unions and stakeholder supporters around the kind of challenges that unions are going to be facing in the next sort of six months, 12 months. And I don't think it took a genius to work out that Brexit was going to be a massive challenge for unions, just like it's going to be a massive challenge really for every area of uh, industry and every area of the economy and society at the moment. And we uh, put together a few proposals to unions and said, you know, what is it that you need in all of this? And really some best practice, some good case studies and some questions that need to be kind of asked were the the answer. And so our toolkit, we've been working on it for the last uh, three months. We've had uh, Vic Taylor, who's been our senior fellow working on this. And it just sort of basically lies out or lays out the key questions for unions to ask. I've seen a lot of uh, jobs, a lot of people kind of, and a lot of companies saying, if you want answers to Brexit, come come and see us. And I thought, well, that's great. Like, how much money do you want to spend? How long is a piece of string? Actually, in a lot of these instances, it seemed to us that the key thing here, the key thing at this moment in time is to think about what are the questions that unions should be asking themselves at the end of the year, at the beginning of the year, reviewing where they're going to go and how Brexit could potentially impact on their union. So the toolkit is broken up into two different sections. I'm a massive fan of the uh, American 
academic David Weil, who talks about strategic choice theory. Oh, he's good. Yes, I like David. Yes. Yeah, the, the minute I, uh, I read his book, Turning the Tide, it was like an epiphany moment for me. I just, I'm, I think I've been keeping quite true as much as I possibly can to his kind of idea as much as possible, really. I mean, seriously, if, if, if you're interested in strategic change, that, and it, you only read one book on it, it's, it's David Wilde's book. That's the book. That is the book. Yeah, and then then as a follow up, <laughs> there's a really really good uh, book about the uh, air traffic controller strike in the US in the 1980s called Collision Course, uh, whose name escapes me the the author of it, but uh, the, the book title is called Collision Course. So basically, you read David Wilde. You know, you get through that nice little kind of easy romp, and then go on to Collision Course, and it kind of changes the way in which you think about unions. So, that diversion aside, I think of things then in in two different ways. The external factors that affect unions and how unions kind of enable change and exert influence. And the second thing is how we use our internal structures, our capacity to make those changes as well and to be the kind of the organisations that we need. Once we got our heads around thinking of Brexit in that way, actually made it quite easy and quite interesting to sort of lay out some of the challenges that unions are going to face. So if we just take the external factors, for every union, basically the position we want to be in is where we exert more influence than is being exerted on us. We want to be the the, the game changers, the, the place where people come to for information and we're respected and we enable change. And within Brexit, kind of there's five five key areas that you want to be thinking about. The changes to the economy and specific industries, the changes to the labour market, changes to legislation, people's attitudes on Brexit, and the impact on local economies that can kind of come out from this. So just to kind of give you a bit of a flavour, if you were thinking about changing changes to the economy and specific industries... What does that sound like, David Davis? Um, hang on, hang on. Let's listen to the silence. Oh, yeah. Except I can't help but laugh, so there's a muttly laugh in the background. Um, thinking a bit about what's the prognosis at the moment, what, what are government departments talking about, what are relevant stakeholders saying about industrial strategy, what is industrial strategy if there is anything... Oh, you need to listen to the last podcast about industrial strategy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We should just send David Davis our podcast. I'm sure he would <laughs> love it. Um, so it's all about thinking of, of the likely changes that are going to happen in the economy. Well, absolutely. I get that that's, that, that sets up the landscape for that first of the, the five questions, yeah. as it were. But, I mean, this sounds like... A, I mean, we're blowing our own trumpet, but, I mean, this is a really substantial piece of work. If we're, if we're, if we're, if we're unlocking those doors and having a look at what's behind them, that's, that's a job that really needs doing. It is going to... If a union wants to use this toolkit, I think it's highly usable. I mean, I'm going to say that because we wrote it. But it is extremely usable, but it does take time to go through and think about some of the answers to those questions. So things uh, under changes to legislation... What is the government saying in relation to your industry or profession? And what areas of workplace or union legislation may be affected? So I think a lot of people have been talking about workplace legislation and how we protect that, which is very, very important. But actually, for a lot of unions, there's also going to be the challenge of legislation within their industries and what potential changes could be um, put in place because of Brexit. 
safety standards, uh, professional standards. There might be a whole raft of legislation that might get changed that people just haven't thought about because we've been concentrating also on the workplace legislation. We need to know where our red lines are as much as anything. And then we need to know where our red lines are within that. And the, the trick is, is if we can identify where change might occur, we can stop it at the past before it comes our way. And the other thing as well to think about is attitudes on Brexit. What are people in the industry you organise thinking about Brexit? It might be that people were pro-Brexit. And that is a, a tug that a lot of unions have been kind of feeling since the vote. But actually, do we know exactly what the industry view is in terms of the workforce? Do we know what potential workforces think about Brexit? And, and actually, is there an industry view on it? And, and what does that mean? And that's going to be really crucial as well in thinking about how you take things forward. Not to steal any of John's thunder, but the work the RCM have been doing on that is particularly good. And then we look to think also about the internal changes that unions are going to find themselves in something that people might not have have really thought about. So within that particular area, you've got to think about people, culture, structures and your human resources. And just to give you a flavour of that as well, think a bit about people. How does this impact on membership? How many members are going to be affected? How many reps are going to be affected by this? Do members have specific um, issues that will need to be addressed by the union? How are unions recording that information and using that data as part of their campaigns? How do people feel about that particular process? And then also we kind of think a bit about the structure of unions themselves. Unions have uh, investments and pensions and uh, property How might that be affected by an economic downturn? What kind of mitigating factors might unions need to think about? And actually, will Brexit mean a change in the skills that unions need or knowledge that unions need in order to be uh, effective in the next kind of couple of years? And what training, what support are we putting in place for our union reps and union officers to handle what might come across the hill. I mean, these things are of fundamental importance. Obviously, the external stuff, because that directly affects the terms and conditions, the prospects for for union members, but the internal stuff, because actually, if we don't have the capacity uh, amongst unions to deliver the strategic objectives, we're we're kind of stuffed. And anyway, we're cutting our own own feet off, as it it were. And and what was interesting, kind of scary, was when there was all the hoo-ha about David Davis saying, do you know what, we've not done nothing on this, there are no impact assessments you would expect or hope that, that actually unions would come forward and say, yeah, we know what's happening here, we know what's happening in our sector. Now, I know work is taking place not just in the health sector, but in aviation, in the creative industries and, uh, and so on, but I get the feeling that this, that this is a real challenge for our movement. To really understand where we're going, I think it is, in, in the toolkit we talk about it, you're going on a path and there isn't a map, and actually sometimes we're not entirely sure where the destination is. So it's every day you're just reassessing your location looking at the sun trying to look at the stars trying to work out exactly what it is and I think that's part of our problem is we're trying to find answers and we're not sure of the questions that we're trying to answer yeah 
I think that's that's a, a good way of putting it. And if if the pamphlet can and the toolkit can give assistance on that, that's that's exceptionally valuable. Yeah, it's in not, itself. and it's not to um, replace anything that unions are doing in terms of their workplace stuff or anything that TEC is doing to replace their workplace stuff. This is all about helping unions think about strategic planning and think a bit about where they're going to go with Brexit. And you know what? It can be applied really at any level of, of a union, but it's just something that we thought was really important for unions to consider in terms of what might come around in 2018. Well, I mean, in terms of in terms of where you can get your hands on this toolkit and, and where you can access it in hard copy, download it or whatever, we will tell you that. At the end of the podcast. Yeah, just you've got to you, listen. You keep listening. Or you could do that thing that where you go forward 10 minutes or whatever. But, <laughs> but let's, let's switch now to, to, to talk to John Skews, who's the Director for Industrial Relations and Professional Services. I think that's his title. At the Royal College of Midwives, Becky's shaking her head. Go on, you know him better than me. What's his title? <laughs> John is the Director of Employment Communications and Policy. There we go. It was close. It was Come close. on, it was close. <laughs> We're going to. Good job he's not in the room, so he can't kick me under the table. <laughs> but we're going to we're, we're going to pop along to see him now and 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 hear what the RCM, as well as all the other uh, health unions, many of whom are stakeholders for Unions Twenty One and the health service employers, are doing to fill this void in, in government thinking and to look after the interests in their their industries. So, um, so with us now is, is John Skews, uh, de facto. Well, not de facto. I mean, I always get your title wrong, John. I'm really sorry. Yeah. Deputy General Secretary, responsible for all the industrial relations stuff for the Royal College of Midwives. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> There's probably like two other people with a claim to that. But, uh, <laughs> so my my title is Director for Policy, Employment Relations, and Communications. The longest title in the world. Not yeah. a, not not at all. This is I'm really sure. really sure really that. easy to type out when you're yeah. doing it for various bits and bobs. And, and we're sitting in John's office, and it's really. Listeners, I have to tell you, it's really Christmassy. We're on the top floor in, in, in central London. Snow is falling. You can see Christmas trees with lights on in buildings yeah. opposite. All the windows have misted up. And we're going to talk about Brexit. There's yeah. a chill in the air. <laughs> <laughs> now, John, I know you, you, we've discussed this before, but, but uh, before we get on to, to um, impact analysis and the failure of the government to do impact analysis and what, what the RCM and others in the health sector have, have done... On that, the question about the Irish border, uh, which now seems to have been resolved just, just about, but I mean, that's a very real live issue for your members in, in, on the island of Ireland, whether they live north or south of the, the border, isn't it? Yes, it is. I mean, look, yeah, I, 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 the more I see uh, and the more I've read about the agreement that was reached last week, the more I see of that agreement, it's a complete fudge on... And I don't see how, in terms of Northern Ireland, it will actually work, um, because it offers something to everybody or in nobody, that debate. or it. nobody indeed. And there's a really interesting article by Jonathan Powell, who was uh, the UK's chief negotiator on the Good Friday Agreement, used to be chief of staff to Tony Blair in, as I say, in today's FT, which says he does he does not think that the agreement will hold. It only holds insofar as it gets all parties to the next stage of negotiations uh, on trade and things like mutual recognition, actually, of professional qualifications, which is incredibly important to the health service, certainly to midwives and so on, north and south of the border. So, I mean, but in practical terms, how many of, of the college's members cross the border? Oh, it's probably quite a small number. We don't actually have a, a complete figure on it, but it could be... 
you know, it could be a couple of hundred people. It's something like that on a regular basis. Um, uh, it will go up and down. Um, of course, there are there are lots of Irish midwives who come to the UK, not just to Northern Ireland as well, to to work. Yep. Traditionally, that's been a source of uh, of um, midwives in the UK more generally. But there are midwives from Northern Ireland who go and work in the South uh, in the Republic. There are midwives from the Republic who go and work in uh, uh, in Northern Ireland. And actually, um, some of the services that are provided are cross are provided cross border. Oh, it just makes sense. To do I was going to ask you about yeah. that, John, because it's not just yeah. the the impact yeah. on members going to work is it's all about the the services themselves so some families will find that their nearest hospital is over the yeah. border mm-hmm. um and that could be also for a range of different treatments yeah. as well but i mean obviously yeah. in your bit it would be about midwifery services yeah. yes absolutely more generally in the in the health service there are you know treatments that you would get in northern Ireland, and if you live in a particular place in 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 the republic i, mean, I think lots of heart treatment for example yeah. will go to um, uh, one of the major regional hospitals, whether that's Bel- Belfast or Elton McGelvin, um, probably Elton McGelvin actually. Um, uh, so people from the Republic will go there and they will just get their treatment uh, there. There is a shortage, isn't there, of midwives in the UK generally, and that there used to be a fairly reliable flow of midwives yeah. from from the other, the rest of the EU. Yes, and this has just dropped off a, a cliff edge since since the Brexit. Absolutely. Um, so. We're now talking about um, these things are registered at the Nursing and Midwifery Council, uh, just the road across the road from uh, from the RCMS headquarters. You have to be on that register to be able to practice in uh, the UK, either as a nurse or as a midwife or indeed a health visitor. And uh, so they measure the number of those that come in every month. It was running at one time from the EU generally, so not just Ireland, mm. for example, but the EU generally. At uh, in the sort of uh, well above a hundred a month, sometimes up to one hundred and eighty. We're now talking two or four a month. It's it, and astonishing. Ninety eight percent collapse. It's just collapsed since the since the referendum, um, and I think it's collapsed for a variety of reasons. Um, one of them is the the government chose not to give guarantees to all of those midwives who would be coming here, or nurses, or any other kind of health professional. And so it had an immediate and drastic effect on registrations across professions in the health service. We kind of have to remember that the NHS in the UK is a net, and has been a net importer of staff for, for many years, mm-hmm. and it will continue to be. There, there, you know, If one talks to any chief executive, any workforce planner in the NHS, there is not something that's questioned. We do not produce enough of our own professions in, in a wide range. But it's not just in professions, it's in things like social care as well, mm-hmm. um, uh, where huge numbers of people uh, are engaged, you know, very well qualified and so on. They have to meet the standards of the NMC uh, or, you know, relevant standards um, in order to be able to practice here. So really, really important. And you'd also say that the government has done pretty much everything it could do to make that situation worse. Mm-hmm. Well, including, it would seem, yeah. by including not doing an impact assessment uh, on this yes, or indeed, any o- o- other sector. Well, so, I'm not sure. I mean, that's what David Davis said, I think, to the Brexit committee. But he'd, he'd said that uh, 54 uh, assessments had been done previously, I think. 
there seems to be a kind of an issue about the words that these are described with, aren't they? You know, he's talked about um, the Prime Minister seeing the, the, the uh, conclusions to those, the summaries of them, but he goes to the Brexit committee and says he hasn't got them. I'm not sure I believe that. Well, whether the words they used are right, yeah. transparent, accurate, well, yeah. whatever, I mean, I think what we can point to here is that the RCM and other health service unions and health service employers have not waited for that and no. have not relied on that. And you've created and have been leading light in a thing called the Cavendish mm. Coalition, mm. Uh, which was shortlisted, I think, for the European Public Affairs uh, Award of the Year uh, just last month. So it's clearly having some, some impact. But listeners might not be aware of what the Cavendish Coalition is and what it does and how it works. Okay. So it's a it's, a, it's named after um, uh, the square in which the RCN has its headquarters, Cavendish Square. Um, that's where its first meeting took place. And what it does is it brings together the key players across health and social care. So a range of medical royal colleges, for example, NHS employers. It's chaired by Danny Mortimer uh, and also his opposite number at the trade body that represents social care. And also... Um, uh, in terms of trade union input by Christina McInnie, who from Unison, yeah. um, the uh, Assistant General Secretary at Unison, who's been in there right from its inception. So all the key players, a number of unions, number of medical royal colleges, NHS employers, um, really importantly, social care as well as health, though, and they are very different sectors mm-hmm. in terms of their requirements for staff and so on. But actually, there's probably an argument to say that social care may be even more impacted by... Um, not getting the staff it needs um, uh, as a result of uh, uh, legislation around Brexit or immigration policy in the future. Um, It's kind of all up for grabs. What we think is is good about it is that uh, it it does bring all those people together and it brings those people together around a series really of quite realisable demands that people are given... Uh, in the, who are in this position, either British people working in the EU, we shouldn't forget them actually, there's a large number. 1.2 million, I think. Yeah, yes. precisely. Um, who I think actually in this latest uh, iteration, this latest agreement that Theresa May came back with, appear to be somewhat treated differently than those people who come from EU countries to Britain, because actually, um, of course, EU countries had more imperative around protecting their citizens than it would appear the British government had about protecting its citizens working abroad. Uh, so it, the, the Cavendish Co- Coalition is, is really focused on getting guarantees for people who will need to come to work here, um, uh, getting guarantees for their families as well, because clearly these are not sort of lone workers who just come here for three months. Very often we're talking about people who have kids at school, um, caring responsibilities, and so on, and who are the bedrock of many services. And particularly in London and the South East, EU midwives provide, can provide up to, well, in one instance, very uh, central London teaching hospital, about 20% of the, of, of the midwives in that, uh, oh, in that trust. That's an astounding figure. Mm. If you think mm. about, I mean, possibly not all of that 20% will leave, but what would a trust... What would any employer do if it found itself in the position of 20% of its staffing, 20% of the people delivering a particular service just upped and 
left. Yeah, non-discretionary service as well. I mean, yeah, oh, it's, absolutely. It's, I mean, it's, uh, this, yeah. is not like, this is not like voluntary surgery. Yeah, 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 you know, no, people, no. people need, you need somebody, yeah. to, you can't just, as I said before, you can't just rock up and yeah. say, I can deliver a baby, no problems. Yeah, literally the future really, isn't it? Um, yes. So real threats to services, as I say, social care is probably even more impacted by uh, the, the plans. And it was within the discretionary power of government in the UK to have said something strong about this right at the start of the process. So mm. after Brexit, the result of the Brexit uh, referendum was announced, our view is it should have come out immediately and guaranteed the rights of all of those people living and working in Britain at that time, in the UK at that time. It chose not to. Indeed, it did. So the coalition is sort of plugging a gap in terms of policy as well as practicalities. Yes, I mean, so yeah, so quite a lot of lobbying on government, quite a lot of, uh, well, if um, Brexit does take place, what would be the immigration regime that would, uh, and obviously this comes in stages as well. Um, uh, so I think early on it was about rights of EU citizens here and equally British citizens working abroad. I think as uh, the debate around Brexit has gone on and there's been such uncertainty. It's about trying to say what will the future needs of both health and social care be for the future and how can those best be secured. And, you know, literally if you talk to anybody at the Department of Health, anybody at NHS Employers, anybody at NHS England, uh, NHS Improvement, I think there really is, there is real consensus that uh, a solution to that problem has to be found. And, and it is a political choice that it hasn't already been found. So, so therefore, the, the, therefore, that seems to have um, uh, surpassed any temptation or tendency for the coalition to split along employer-employee lines. Yes, yes, I don't, yes. I mean, we, we certainly, um, I mean, Unis 21, I think, has, has played a really helpful role in this as well, in that we had a, um, Becky Wolf and you, Simon, will remember this, we had a, an extremely well-attended meeting uh, in... Parliament uh, about two months ago now, September, September, um, uh, where we had MPs and peers from across all of the political parties, actually, because the view, I think, very much is that, you know, this can't just be supporters of one particular political party. This is about a wider debate about our future. I think what was really interesting looking at the Cavendish Coalition and why it's one of the case studies in our toolkit is that... In essence, what it has done is it's taken people who often see each other uh, at various other uh, forums, uh, whether it be workforce planning or kind of negotiations, uh, extended that umbrella to include other people in the sector who might not be involved in those discussions and had real kind of identified real common goals and common needs that that was fitted sort of both sides or and I think it's easy to kind of say oh well it's employers and employees but it seems to me the more we sort of talk to Cavendish coalition people that it's it almost seems very tripartite Mm. in its kind of experience as well and so you're looking at the things that everybody agrees with and recognizing the fact that people aren't going to agree on everything and that's fine and that gets dealt with in other places what happens at the coalition is what everybody agrees on and works towards and it is fluid as well as kind of john was sort of saying is that once something is dealt with or once uh, something has kind of changed there's the opportunity to kind of go back and revisit it but we we also um chatted to danny mortimer from the employer's side about his uh, experience of doing that. And theirs is, is 
relatively positive as well because it feels to them as well like there are things for sure that everybody can agree on that want to work towards and you're better off working together than apart and kind of having a cohesive collaborative voice for that particular industry and I think it's definitely something that unions from across the piece can start to think about replicating in their industries um, and in their workplaces. And certainly, John, do you feel that the coalition is making progress towards its, its political objectives? Um, I, I, I think so, <laughs> is what I would say. I mean, look, all I think that one can do at the moment um, with a government that's um, torn between its hardline Brexiteers and those people who see a need for you know the UK to remain in the single market customs union and so on, or indeed not leave uh, the EU. Politically, it means there's a sort of stasis going on, doesn't it? That actually it can't, it can't move more quickly than perhaps the uh, uh, re-smog or the DUP would like them to, to move. Um, possibly losing a majority at any point on, on, on any of these kind of quite detailed issues and with a political imperative to just keep going to next week, really. Um, uh, and so in all of that, people saying sensible things about what, you know, one of the biggest bits of our economy uh, needs, health service is that, in most towns it will be the, the biggest single employer, um, that makes some sense to me. I think it's helped, can I just say, by the fact that in, in health we do have a tradition of... Yeah social partnership I think yes. uh, which is very entrenched so although trade unions and employers and the Department of Health will fall out on many things actually the thing that we do come together on is the need for good provision in health you know in, in what it, whether that's in maternity services or whether that's in uh, uh, GP or acute services as it were in the in the health service and uh, so I think that probably underpins some of the relationships and, mm-hmm. and and means that we do work well together on areas of common concern well I mean acting in the national interest mm-hmm. rather than the section of interest there's a, a motto a mantra that everyone I yes. think should probably act in John yes. thank you very much indeed and best of luck going forward thank you well, listeners, I think you'll agree that was, uh, as, as ever with John, actually, that was good stuff, really good practical stuff. Um, and it shows you don't have to be a huge union necessarily to be at the cutting edge of these, these things. No, I think it helps sometimes as well to be quite niche because you really understand your workplace, workplace and employers really, really well. And you can kind of be a bit light-footed, I think, sometimes. Uh, I think so. So, I mean, hope, anyway, hopefully you'll find that interesting and, and entertaining and enlightening and, and all the rest of it. And we promise to let you know where you can get the Managing Brexit document, Becky. And it is available at... www.unions21.org.uk as if you hadn't guessed before. It's up on the website. Uh, It's being emailed out to our supporters and to our stakeholder supporters and individual supporters uh, this week. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, in terms of of what else is happening, this is, as I said, the last podcast for 2017. Insert sound effect here. Um, We very much appreciate your support, your comments, your your company uh, over the preceding, well, I suppose a couple of months we've been going now. Uh, And this is not the end of the road. We're just going to take a pause over Christmas and the New Year break. We'll be back in the new year uh, with episodes on a variety of, of Topics that are really at the heart of what unions uh, do and, and are all about. We've got a, uh, we've got Matthew Taylor yep. of the eponymous Taylor Report, who will be guesting on a podcast for us towards the end of January. We're grateful to him for for spending some time with us, especially as the government 
by that time, hopefully, <laughs> have submitted their response that we're supposed to do. Have got the ball business. out from the long grass, <laughs> come back, and yeah, then argued yeah. about where it went out, and now it's all right. It's kicking it back onto. We pitch. We, we hope so. Not 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 least since actually those two parliamentary standing committees published their proposals for a gig economy bill that mm. the government really need to respond to. We'll also have podcasts on healthy workplaces uh, with uh, contributions from the Chartered Society of Physiotherapy. Looking forward to to recording that one, and we'll also get, be getting the the nuts bolts on the Uber Employment Tribunal and Employment so Appeal Tribunal that. cases by talking to, to our friends and colleagues in the GMB. All that's for the new year. We hope very much you'll join us. We would love you to let us know of any other areas you think deserve covers, yeah. coverage. If you've got a particular thing that your union's doing that you think's working really well, then let us know that we can highlight it and talk about it. Or if there's a topic that you'd like us to go into in more depth, whether it be by getting a, a speaker to chat with us about it or even just the discussion between Simon and myself, then let us know. We have microphone and will travel. <laughs> Oh, we have microphone, we'll travel for a cup of tea and a biscuit. Uh, but if you want to uh, contribute, if you've got any ideas or if you've got any feedback or comments, please let us know on info at unions21.org.uk. So all that's left is for me and Becky to wish you a very happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. And a peaceful, prosperous and successful new year. Yeah, 2018 I think is going to be super exciting and uh, fun. I kind of feel after 2017, the only way is up. That's for that's for sure. Cue music, as Cue they say. Music. We don't have the copyright on that one, so, <laughs> so so we can't. So so thanks ever so much for joining us and for listening. Uh, and we'll see you on the other side. Bye. Bye bye. podcast was presented by Becky Wright and Simon Sapper. The closing music was composed by Scott Holmes. It was a Makes You Think production. A Happy New Year to all.